Welcome to Everything Hurts. My name is Dan Quintana from the University of Oslo. I'm here with James Heathers from Cypherskin and a very special guest, Sakshi Guy, who is a PhD student in psychology at the University of Cambridge. Her research focuses on empowerment, technology, and behavior change in the context of the global South. Sakshi, thank you for joining us on the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited about this conversation. Now, you recently wrote a piece in Nature Human Behavior titled, It's Time to Reimagine Sample Diversity and Retire the Weird Dichotomy. Can you start by telling us about the central thesis of your piece? Yeah, I feel like before I dive into the central thesis, I should just give a little bit of context. Yeah, please. Into the whole story and how, what really got us on the journey or got me on the journey to start thinking more deeply about the weird acronym. So um, I think about a few months ago, um, Amy Aubin and I were starting to do a review piece to really understand the impact of technology across contexts. And our intuition was, oh, perhaps there's a little bit of a negativity bias when it comes to tech research and psychology. Maybe if we look at a different context, we might find that risks don't overweigh. Uh, perhaps we might find that in other contexts, there might we might find benefits of technology. And with that, we thought, okay, perhaps a clever way to really uh, bring this piece to life is to, perha- to, to quantify the weird category and come up with like a weird score. And to that end, we thought we'll triage different sources, break up the weird acronym, maybe average it and come up with this really cool weird measure that then we can sort of throw in our review and then see how, um, you know, where the literature sits. Um, and, and we thought at the time that was a, that was a good idea. Now, of course, a um, few weeks into the work, we quickly started to ask <laughs> some of those very fundamental questions like, okay, but you know, who counts as weird? Are we, are we coding for the country to be weird? Are we code, coding the participant to be weird? Is it the culture that is weird? Um, and then very quickly, we started to look at some papers, which were specifically highlighting non-weird contexts. <clears throat> and if you actually go down and look at the the method sections of the paper or, or, or peep into the supplementary, you see that um, the sample is very much convenient, open, educated. Um, most of the times there is no socioeconomic status that is quantified. So we actually don't know whether this is a high income, low income population, but they are majority English speaking. And the reason being because a lot of the psychology scales that are perhaps validated in the north are taken to diverse contexts and and sort of um yeah captured there so that that i think that got me very interested in in this whole in this whole world and got me down the rabbit hole of thinking more deeply about but okay but how how does um weird really does it really overlap with the non-weird category? Are they distinct categories? Are we lumping similar things together? Um, and and that's, that's sort of what got us down the journey. And of course, weird as an acronym and the whole theory has sensitized the field 
really well on the importance of sample diversity. I think one of the most influential pieces ever in 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 the last 30, 40 years that has gotten us a head start in this conversation is actually the weird theory. Because interestingly, um, it's not the first time that uh, that that psychologists have talked about weird or talked about the problem of sample diversity. So you know go, we have literature going back to the early 1960s where we um, see some researchers call it the white rat problem, where in psychology or most of the psychology samples are based on um, white, typically male undergrads. So I think people started to pay attention to this problem very, very early on. But I think the weird theory really revolutionized the the concept and really spurred a very important, meaningful conversation in behavior science and made us think deeply about the who are the cultural outliers and why. So that's sort of the, I guess, the context. And I think the basic thesis um, is really that uh, I think the time has come that in 2021, uh, we start to ask the hard question of whether this diversity label is uh, helping the field advance on the problem of sample diversity. Where are the limitations? Are people misperceiving the weird category are researchers perhaps misperceiving it and if they are then indeed we do need a reboot and the other bit is also that the weird label in itself or the weird categorization whether it was intended or not intended now has started to pick up in 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 conversations almost as a dichotomy so it's a weird and then a non-weird and then and then everything else sort of collapses under that. And I think that's the dichotomization is what I unpack in the piece and try and sort of break down how problematic it is, why the lumping is not helpful, um, and so on and so forth. Immediately proposing that as best introduction to a topic, I think I've <laughs> that was that was super comprehensive. Um, do we actually say what it is? Because I mean, I this is is something I, I remember this research from two thousand and ten, um, and I had to look the figure up before um, they were analysing APA journals, and ninety six percent of the papers were drawn from like an eighth of the, a pool of an eighth of the world's population. Um, so I mean, you can understand why the, like, the original conceptualization of people went so hard for that because that's an overwhelming bias. And even if it's only a little bit, it is, it is set up like that in a way where it presents itself as a dichotomy because it's literally all the stuff from and then presumably anything that wasn't, like the vast majority of that is probably actually straight from cross-cultural psychology or the study of localized cultural phenomena and everyone else as a, as opposed to i'm interested in something about human nature more broadly i just don't have no broad sample um and obviously yeah we can get into the problems with that what were you going to say dan you're, you're looking expectant you have an expectant face i, I, I was going to say one of the things which really stood out for me in your piece is that we often think about diversity between countries but there is actually a lot of diversity 
um, uh, sorry, we, we often think about diversity um, between countries, but there's a lot of diversity within countries and even within cities. I remember like the, the university that J- James and I did our PhDs was, was, was very, very homogenous, you could say. So you, you'd get participants coming in from, um, for, your, for your research studies, you'd be like, oh, sorry, I'm late, mate, I've just come from rowing practice. And that, that was kind of the, 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 the general population that you would have. So it's extremely specific. So it's, I think it's great to recognize that there's even a lot of diversity um, between, uh, sorry, within cities, within countries, and quite a lot of the research that we do is done on a super, super selective population. Um, I mean, I, I asked a question today on Twitter about, um, I've seen a lot of people have set up these research vans, which which travel around cities and countries collecting data. Um um, there's fantastic examples of this, um, of, um, of of people doing this kind of work, because only a certain a certain type of person is actually, of course, a lot of these people um, are undergraduates who are doing it for course credit, or they might be people who happen to live in the community. I mean, it's, it's very interesting reading the method sections of de- 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 developmental psychology. Quite often for neurotypical participants, when you're looking at the um, the demographics of the parents, they all have PhDs because they're all the parents of the people who are in the department already. Um, so there's, there's huge problems here. So I think highlighting that is um, is, 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 is super important. Yeah, absolutely. I think that was also one of our findings from the review, and um, we're we're currently writing it up. But I think, um, I think what we found there, and I think that is certainly reflective of exactly what you're saying, is the so the, there's the one problem, which is that yes, of course, we are completely um, missing um, be- anything between eighty eight percent to ninety two percent of the world's population in our science. So that's problem number one. We have a diversity of study populations and clearly a sample is very, very skewed. But then problem number two is even that sample that is that we, we do have is not representative. Um, and within within the it's not like we're doing any better in the global north because um, there are so many um, there are so many people or so many groups that are not well represented, so indigenous populations or even people from low socioeconomic status, um, a lot of the studies also um, don't even mandate or, or when we when we try and capture our sa- the information on our samples, several studies uh, don't really have or don't really account for education or p- different proxies for socioeconomic status. Or ethnicity, um, so so that that in country variation uh, is also then limited, uh, and of course now um, that's 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 sort of um, I guess true for the technology research and this sort of very very specific review that we did. But I I I think I could generalize a little bit and say that we can do much better even within the global north, and we can um, try and capture more groups and try and get people who are not yet into the science back into the science. So I think we 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 do have to sort of fight the battle of increasing sample diversity at both counts. So not just uh not just yes global south, yes the other category, non-weird, whether we want to call it low middle income countries, developing countries, and you know we can quabble about the label <laughs> uh, separately, but I think I think the fundamental problem really is um, 
And I think at least that's how um, I see it is that uh, that the problem we're trying to solve is that there are millions and billions of people who are not yet into the science. So how and, and we really we really have those people at the tail ends of the distribution. So how do we get the get every variety of homo sapiens included? I have some collaborators in China and they told me a story. They submitted a paper with their Chinese sample, obviously. And they got a desk rejection. And the reason was that their sample isn't representative. (laughs) 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 One one billion people. Oh, man. Um, and, and, And that paper was passed over from 80 people who all look like they were born in a boathouse from Cornell. <laughs> um, who, yeah, man, they, they stamped, st- literally stamped out of the same clay. No, no, no offense to anyone from there. Actually, no, lots of offense. You all look identical and you dress weird. Um, that's weird for you. I was, I was thinking about this when we were, were, were preparing for this about the, because we, we're talking about the sort of external homogeneity of what's in our collective samples versus the, the the rest of the world that when we're trying to describe something as abstract as human nature somehow manages to pass us by um, versus the internal diversity of the sample that's never particularly recorded. And I was thinking, which which is the most homogeneous version of the internal diversity? And... Honestly, the thing that's going to stay the same between the vast majority of the university research, I think, is going to be E, if I had to pick one. There's obviously very well-established research universities all the way around the world, which is going to put enough of a dent in the W. The I, well, there is a a very big urban-rural divide in some countries that have uh, amazing research universities that are that, like competitive in a way that we do not understand here. Um, and putting the entire the entire country category making a decision about that sample, they go, oh no, it's a, this is definitely a rural place. <gasps> yeah, but it's not a rural university full of rural upper middle class people, is it? Um, Rich is probably all over the map to a certain degree, and I don't know honestly about demo- uh, democratic, but I-, I wonder if the most homogeneity when it comes to the diversity we do have isn't in the educated part. I've, I've distrusted for years um, studies that were about the kind of general political attitudes of, of everyone within this country and when that one's on people under the age of 24 at a university, I get really suspicious that you're fully representing the diversity of political opinions, the world being the way it is. And where, where, where it all turns us out, I suppose, is what do, what, what do we do? Do we need to build consortia? That's always Dan's. It's actually, that's always Dan's first idea. So we we're like, well, I tell you what we'll do. We'll get everyone from everywhere and put them in an enormous conical heap, and we'll kill this because he's a, he's a meta analyst. Amongst amongst his other moral failings, he's a meta analyst. And I mean, but I mean, look, I, I, I'm interested in your opinion rather than my dumb speculation. What to be this? There's obviously frontline. Um, there's obviously f- frontline mitigation that's suggested here. What's what's the plan? Where do we start? So I think um, I'll answer this in two parts. 
One is that I think it'll be nice to just reflect on why is diversity so hard and so complex to capture and then really segue into perhaps one solution or like at least one thing that we can do together as a community um to move move this move this forward a little bit um i think today and especially with digitization and particularly digitization because coming from a developing country having grown up in a country like india where there are so many different facets of 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 identities so um so in india for example there are different identities that are salient so for me my gender identity is more salient caste is very salient religion is very salient i'd never thought about race before i had moved to the us where suddenly i started to do diversity inclusion research on race and became acutely aware of what majority groups are minority groups are um till i till i had not moved to the us i i didn't even have I had no idea about race. I I genuinely didn't because uh, my narrative was all around gender. I come from North India, you know, patriarchal, uh patriarchal, very very patriarchal um uh village and uh, yeah, that that sort of was my my sense of normal. Now, of course, when we think about the global south, global south is or or non-weird category even though I would prefer using the term global south in itself is such a huge label and in in itself calling you know 88% of the world's population under the global south label is also a little bit hard to capture because it's incredibly diverse and it's really hard to classify this extent of diversity now of course one one bit of the conversation is you know we can't consider all ecological cultural genetic or uh, cognitive social factors into sample diversity because then we can't really get our science done uh, the other side of the argument is also that we can't really break down statistically speaking groups um to to such an extent that we really lose the interpreted power or we lose the statistical um power but equally i think it's important for us to start picking up what or what are the different identities that that have been overlooked perhaps in our science um and and these will tend to be socio um ecologically focused so these you know in a country in southeast southeast asia or south asia would be very different from africa would be very different from latin america of course there'll be similarities surely there'll be differences and why does this matter this matters because it really has implications for things like say in psychology prejudice research um <clears throat> it has huge implications in 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 prejudice research or even if we were to look at the asia label for example now southeast south asia and east asia very distinct very very distinct often lumped under the same label um so i think i think we do have to i mean one is that we do need a, to do a little bit of a diversity audit in our own science to really understand these different regions and try to make sense of it the other flip side of it um which i think i am struggling with definitely thinking about diversity and and how it's non binary and continuous and of course multidimensional and um yes there are all these facets the social class there's education there is ethnicity there's 
there's uh, there's there's just features and features their cultural traits um i think i'd mentioned digital access um and i i i think digital access is such a crucial one because um, literally a year ago i think world bank launched um this challenge called the mission billion and the whole goal was to get the world's invisible billion people uh into to to being with to being visible so essentially refugees or people who are very very poor are not even counted so we're not we're not we're, they don't have a digital identity they don't have access to services um so there are so there's sexual orientation there's gender so there are there's caste there's urban rural differences so we can sort of go on and i think i think this is where it starts to get really messy and complicated and this is why intersectionality is something i really like cuz i think that is very telling of how complicated this whole piece of the puzzle is and the more we start to get down the rabbit hole the more um more rabbit holes we find at least i find myself in and which is why i think i i would love for the community to together really push this conversation to really try and break move the needle on this conversation always i mean we we no I, i don't that wasn't if that's if that's rambling you're obviously not familiar with how we normally talk here i said the first thing i'd say um <clears throat> Although well, we have fallen into a tendency over time to go around proposing solutions, and I immediately think about I, I, I have a very practical job now, and I immediately think about anything that I find workable, which doesn't mean it is. Um, in anything that has to do with a individualistic or collective ideology, um with a, an internalization of 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 what it means to be a, a member of a society i would i would love to see research that crosses over with that deliberately replicated in a population where you would have an immediate expectation that it was uh it was it was differently organized different different headspace i can think about it like okay well this is if it needs if it needs to be highlighted who's who's out there listening that is capable of pushing this button um i feel like beha- the the people who have actually done okay at this over time have been uh people who are in behavioral economics because when it comes to understanding decision making in terms of money and resources the very natural question to ask is oh well okay we're thinking about it with a big r here small w e i big r d um we really have to get rid of that r and we have to replicate this in the philippines or new delhi or um you know la paz on a pacific island this this really because we we're trying to we're trying to understand how people are sort of mentally allocating resources according to this model and we have we have to look at that um so it's not it's not as if it's always ignored by individual projects it's more the fact that when there's so many fractal rabbit holes as you described and you have a limited amount of resources how are you supposed to approach the problem now 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 who's rambling huh <laughs> <laughs> 
If you're liking what you're hearing, there are a few ways you can support the work that we do when everything hurts. First, you can throw some of your spare change to us each month, $5 to be exact, and you'll get access to a bonus episode every single month. There's also a $1 tier that will get you access to the Everything Hurts newsletter and the occasional bonus episode. Second, we've got a merch store where we sell hoodies, shirts, and coffee mugs, which is the most popular thing that we sell, so you can tell everyone that you listen to the best science podcast in the world. Third, you can tell your friends about the show by sharing links to episodes on social media. James and I love seeing these posts. For links to our Patreon page and merch store, check out the show notes. I think it's really good now um, in terms of getting access to different populations. Um, a, a service like Prolific is is fantastic because previous to that, all you would have access to would be your local university population. But now with a thing like a service like Prolific, then you can get the, a wide gamut of the population. Of course, these are people who have access to, 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 to smartphones or access to, to desktop computers, but you essentially have um, access to a really wide and diverse population and you can specifically say, hey, I want to test these people. Um, and I think it's always good when suggesting reforms within psychology and reforms within research to begin with things that are realistic. And one thing which is super realistic is to say, hey, let's make a really big effort to better understand um, uh, diverse samples using tools that we already have. Um, of course, it'd be great if you could um, drive vans everywhere in all, all cities around the world, kind of like the uh, kind of like the Google car, fit, fit, fit the Google car with um, psychophys equipment. But that's not going to happen. What you can do, <laughs> <laughs> what, you, what you can, what you can do, is um, is really promote these ways that we can collect. Um, questionnaire-based data. I mean, people are getting very, very inventive with the sort of data, data that they can collect via, via computers, but I think that's a really good first step in a way that we can actually increase diversity. But like you say, um, actually figure out like what diversity is out there in the first place. Yeah, so I think I partly agree and partly slightly disagree. Um, I think the part that I completely agree with you with is that we have to work with what we have right now and absolutely you know there is very little room right now to be idealistic especially if you're passionate about getting people who are the marginalized people into the science right um rural people into the science and i i do think smartphones smartphones particularly no other no other technology but smartphones just because i've seen how quickly smartphones have penetrated across the developing world they're the first touch point they're the first itc touch point the the information technology touch point to the poor that that will surely be a nice way to diversify a science if, if we can use that and leverage that and it's so interesting um literally just yesterday uh, i collected my first first piece of primary data for my PhD. For the last two years, I've not been able to go, not been able to travel, not been able to go to the field. Um, I've had no no primary data. Just yesterday, first piece of primary data, it was a conversation with a rural woman, qualitative study, um, based in a small village in Haryana, which is a north, uh, it's, a, it's a village in North India. And um, the conversation was on the, over a phone. I had to, uh, I had to, literally run up to my my um my service my mobile service put like a special pack to call india and i had a lovely conversation for an hour with this lady 
um, in the local language, of course. Um, and it was fantastic. And it just left me because I was, <laughs> I was quite frustrated that I wasn't able to go to the field and I was not collecting data. And I thought this was fantastic because I actually didn't need to travel and, and it was a little bit cost effective and so on and so forth. So I think definitely 100% um, we have to. I think the problem with um, with prolific mTurk, even though, of course, they are revolutionary and they have they have surely taken us a step forward beyond college um, college educated students is that and particularly for mTurk prolific surely is 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 better quality but there i think we start to run into very very skewed samples the other flip side of it is also when we think about um self reports or questionnaires in these surveys uh i think what we often do is we take the surveys that are already validated and sort of take them and apply them to a diverse context and i think that in itself um is is not always, but can be limiting. So, for example, um, <clears throat> anxiety or depression or mental health. Suppose we want to measure mental health. A lot of these diverse contexts might not actually have the right translation for words like depression or words like anxiety. And I know this because I was trying to get um, a, a, a word translated into my own language and surely like I kept thinking about what the right translation is and, and there wasn't and you start to use lots of proxy words so right there you've lost the uh, lost the validity because you're taking something and you're you know you're throwing it in a different sample and saying of course this is a mental health measure but I don't think we, we, we have understood what is it that we need to first understand uh, how do they perceive this word called depression or this word called anxiety, uh, which is why I personally think that qualitative studies are a great stepping stone, especially if we want to understand a very diverse rural sample that, say, does not have access, that, that is not accessible through English. Um, so if it's a diverse sample with, you know, with a different language, then the first step would really be to understand what is it that we're measuring and whether whether what we are measuring is actually actually how the participants perceive. Mm. <clears throat> yeah, whether whether or not the conceptual center is, is able to be crossed over. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's, that's a fantastic example. Um, that conversation was, I mean, I don't speak either of them. That conversation was presumably in Hindi or Punjabi. And, right. Um, yeah, I speak not, yeah, not, I'm, I don't make my family proud that my Punjabi is not very smooth. That's, <laughs> yeah. Um, well, yeah, you should, I mean, I, I, I'm struggling for English right now. So, um, I, at least you, yeah, that's a hell of a good start. Um, it it is. I mean, that's that's where the kind of digital revolution for inclusivity immediately drives straight off a fucking cliff is the fact that one everything needs to be formally codified into language to be able to be a digital resource. It's out of context where you don't have the ability to qualify something that you you do when you do qualitative research. So if there's any kind of conceptual mismatch, it's just not going to work to begin with. And 
As far as I'm aware, it is thoroughly not cool in cross-cultural research to auto-translate text. And it's why there's so many validations of different widely used scales into different language. And it's why the, it's why the official translation process is legitimately a thing. Um, so it did it did it did occur to me sort of preparing for this that, that that's that's where you could get genuinely stuck it's not just a matter of access it's a matter of if you're going to make everything completely homogenous you you will struggle to a certain degree crossing over between the kind of conceptual basis of each language um i wish i had a good example of this, but I'm sure I'm sure there's lots. I'm sure the moment now I've said that, I'm sure there's someone leaving a comment right now of how could you possibly not heard of yeah. <laughs> I mean Dan can't Dan Dan can't make himself understood in English. And then he starts speaking and then he starts speaking Norwegian. I continually ask him to say things in Norwegian and then he continually gets it wrong. Dan, could you I mean this is this this is an example of how how difficult this can be. You've been in Norway for twenty, maybe thirty years at this point. <laughs> Six years, seven years. It, right. If we made you trans translate complicated English concepts into Norwegian do you do you think that to the level that Sakshi does research that you did research do you think you could produce an official legitimate Norwegian language version of a psychological test or tasks no not me personally no not even close <laughs> right words have, I mean, even, words have nuance yeah they're irritating aren't they yeah. maybe, maybe we should have gone with that Esperanto business a while back um <laughs> Actually, look. I'll give you. I'll give. I'll give you. I'll give you an example. I'll, I'll, I'll put this. Put this out of context. I had an argument years ago. I'm not really a psychologist. Not really for a, a very long time. Um, and if I have to describe it in a hurry, I say physiologist. And difference when you shine light through a finger, the absorption as it either passes through or it scatters backwards changes depending on the skin. And it's been well understood for a very, very long time that if you have different pigmentation in the skin, it affects the properties of the light. We knew this when we were doing our PhDs. Um, I mean, it's nowhere near as bad as something like nail polish. There's a, you get a good metallic nail polish and you put it in and you go, oh, okay, well, this monitor says you're dead. That's a problem that you're still talking to me. Bit zombie, never mind. Um but they they figured out as the plague kicked off in the US, they suddenly figured out as increasingly uh, people have packed into cities over time, as might be expected, um, urban areas got hit real hard. People closer together, healthcare demands, etc. It's ma mainly a space thing with an infectious disease. And then they 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 figured out a while back. And it was like all these monitors are absolutely no good unless you're Norwegian and it's working perfectly. This monitor is no good for increasing amounts of melanin in the skin because the problem is now we're making a decision about 2%, 4%. How are we going to handle triage? And I had an argument about this years ago about whether or not cultural factors mattered in literally in like medical device design and physiology. And I said that the inability to pay attention to this would bite us one day. And I took absolutely no pleasure in being right 
I mean, I was talking to somebody who's like, oh, well, you know, all physiology is essentially the same. I mean, it's not. Uh, and a lot of the, more than that, a lot of the ways in which it's not genuinely matter. So, I mean, I don't think we get any points as social scientists for, um, you know, well, we, we haven't given this issue sufficient attention, but then again, neither have they. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think you can hang your hat on everyone sucks at appreciating just how deep this hole is. I think you're also pointing to something sort of very important, um, which is this whole how do we how do we reconcile the field's need for for replication and reproducibility with sample diversity, right? Like where do these two meet? And this is a question that I obviously recently have started again to think very deeply about because um, just with the the conversation on open science and um, interestingly came across the uh, many labs two paper um, which 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 uh, I thought of course is a fantastic um, example of you know collaborative cross-cultural science it's an amazing amazing um, cross-cultural collaboration but of course what I what I've what I found interesting uh, in that paper was the fact that um, they they did what we were trying to do, which is in in some ways I was trying to reinvent the wheel by creating this weird score, uh, and they actually did create a weird score. Um, but that is problematic uh, because it's really hard to break up the weird acronym and. And, and give countries a score. And I think the other problem uh, with that paper was also the fact that they used a lot of convenient college samples um, and, and, and found that some effects, you know, replicated, some effects didn't replicate. And I, I, it's, a great, it's a great start. It's a great first step. Um, but I think we do need to really think very deeply about this how does sample diversity meet reproducibility? And of course, I have very limited experience. I'm, I'm sort of just starting to think about it. So by no means, I know, know anything about this field, but what about this topic. But what I do, I do know or what I've started to think about is that in, in this, in this sort of trade off between or in this, in this, in yeah, in in trying to make sure that we move the field forward on both fronts, um, I think it's as important as it is to consider okay, which universe, which you know effects are replicable, which effects are universal, and of course that's what we want our science to be to be able to give us that. But equally important it is to realize that if we haven't included 80%, 88%, 92% of people in our science, then surely there are so many theories of human behavior that our, our microscope or telescope hasn't even picked up. And I know that's that's going a little bit provocative um, out in the provocative territory, but um, yeah, I think I think we, we, we do have to get out to to access more representative populations in these regions and then as soon as we start to pick up on the representative population i know it's 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 not um easy it's very costly um but equally i think it is it is important to get people who are not usually in the science to also be included and recruited mm. 
Yeah, without without coming in like He Man and recording local samples and then leaving the the people who actually did all the work off the paper, which is a uh, yeah. I had some direct experience with that. I worked with some e- economists who were testing a low cost heart rate monitor in Africa, and god damn it, yeah, they were we were really happy uh, in that project that all the people who actually did the work. Well, on the paper, and they were like, oh, we've done things like this before. We didn't think we'd get to be authors. You did all the work. I, 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 I sat in my office in Sydney, and uh, people people who I never met got me data from just outside Addis Ababa, uh, and they went back to the, the, the research team who were there locally, went back to the, the lobby of the hotel and uploaded it, and then it turned up in the inbox, uh, and then we did the analysis. And when they said, we're going to put out, we will send you the list of authors when the paper's done. I was like, I really don't want to have to fight these people to, have to, to go back and put the people who did all the work on the paper. And happily, all the people who did the work were, uh, were, were actually included. So, I mean, yeah, presumably do everything you just said without treating this as like some kind of extension of a, like a data holiday. You know, <laughs> where you where you treat the sort of lo- like the local data generation environment is just like part of the service economy, which is pretty. Yeah, I'm going to hold my tongue on that full opinion because we don't have time for all the rude words. Uh, but I think the helicopter research um, has been recently uh, documented. I think there was a recent piece. Um, I think Nature did a short piece. Um, oh yeah. Paper. Um, and I've never heard the term helicopter research. Yeah, helicopter research. Essentially, people from uh, Global North countries perhaps sampling or recruiting samples in the Global South without equitably including the underrepresented uh um, you know, researchers into 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 that collaboration. So I I think partly what you're saying is how can we empower local researchers to uh, be part and co-create science as opposed to us trying to go in a different context and 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 make sense of that yeah hell yeah but so look this is this is this is the other thing i always like it's also it, it comes down to uh, like an understanding of just the sort of basic inclusivity of who the authors are because there's presumably even research like this where you go, hey, look, do you know what? True diversity, thumbs up. Um, none of this would exist without all none none of this none of this work would exist without the strident local efforts of people who actually did the work. And as a PhD student, um, I was obviously quite strident about this. If I'm doing the actual work, the research doesn't exist about me. I think this is starting to load onto the author category a lot. Um, so I, I, I put that into Google and found the piece. We'll have to stick the piece in the show notes down. I haven't, I haven't seen this one, uh, before, but it, um, you know, it, it includes such uh, stellar pieces of advice as involve everyone throughout the process, full stop. I mean, yes, uh, the fact that that needs to be written down, uh, means that they I, I don't know the kind of boneheads that need to get advice from something like that, but okay. In, in doing research for the episode, I came across a study which found that um, studies that include 
um, mentions of other popular or non-weird, so to speak, populations in the title or the abstract um, are, le- are less influential. So we have a situation now where people are less incentivized to actually include these more diverse um, more diverse samples. And I know, um, I mean, I, I think it's quite topical. I mean, you, you publish this piece in Nature and Behavior and one of their criteria for um, do we consider this do we consider this piece to get sent out or to be considered or to be accepted is how difficult was this sample um, to be collected. And at first when I read that, I thought, mm, that's a bit unfair. Oh. This is rewarding people who have fMRI machines, people who have fancy expensive machines. And I thought, hang on a minute. <laughs> This is actually more, <laughs> I think this is more about how difficult it is to actually recruit the population. And I think it's really important for, for journals and for institutions and for funders um, to actually go, hey, we need to support this kind of, this, we need to support the kind of research. Because um, at the moment, there doesn't seem to be that kind of support. But if we, need, if we flip the script um, a little bit, then, um, th- then we can actually improve those things. And I think, I think a, a way to flip the switch uh, is, then why do we keep um, uh, sort of caveating cross-cultural psychology? Why is cross-cultural, like, why is psychology cross-cultural? Why is psych- it's just psychology. <laughs> yeah, and it's, I mean, it's 88, 90% of the world's population. And in fact, what's, what I thought was really interesting also in, in the weird acronym, even the category Western, right, which we think is so um you know it's so it's it's quite clear what is western and what is not western but actually in Hendrik's definition western includes northwest europe um and i don't think there was a mention of south europe like the southern regions of europe so spain and and italy perhaps unless i'm wrong and 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 that's really interesting because they are still part of europe and they are considered Western, but perhaps they are culturally different. So I think the question again, and which is why um, I think whether we use Global South as a label or we use Weird Non-Weird or we use any other label, I think the question, the hard question around the diversity labels is really um, like we we have to move a step forward to really get down to um, to capture what the problem is at hand. And it is that we have a lot, a majority of the world's population that's not in the science. So it isn't cross-cultural psychology, it's psychology. Well, that's, that's, that's very quotable. Uh, yeah, we're going to use that for the show promo. That was Okay. Sorry, Dan. I've been reading uh, Joseph Heinrich's um, recent book, uh, The Weirdest People in the World. And what I found was quite interesting was the focus on religion. It's fascinating stuff. Um, but I, I, I wonder, given that focus on religion, why wasn't religion included in the first place within the weird dichotomy? Uh, but perhaps because R was already taken by by, by Rich. So I, I want I want to get your opinion on like what do you think the role of, of of religion is and the importance of actually considering diversity for for religion? So um, personally, um, I come from India, and religion is like I said, it's a salient identity. And equally, I was listening to um, listening to something recently from from Latin America, where in Mexico there has been some debate on, say, abortion rights, and even there, there's a Catholic population, and that has implications for for abortion and 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 women's rights. Um, so religion is actually a very, very, very important um, identity that's often overlooked and often not even sort of 
captured in the same way. And I think, of course, anthropology and cultural anthropology ha- does a really good job of capturing capturing religiosity and religion. But I think in in psychology, it is my limited sense um, that po- po- politics or like political psychology or like or the the sort of the frame of you know who's who's on which side which you know who follows which political party and who doesn't you know is that are they are you democrat are you republican are you you know in the uk the system is very different uh you know labor green da 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 so on but i think with the same um with the same fervor is that the word yeah as we as we sort of focus on political psychology i think religion also needs to be looked at because so much of the world uh and at least it has really important implications for um intergroup um like positive intergroup relations right a lot of the pos- the the intergroup uh, you know from from xenophobia to 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 today living in a multicultural world where immigration is on the rise and i think religion is definitely an overlooked category and like religion i think some of the other categories are very overlooked like i digital access again i think i'm saying this now for the second time i think it's it's it is it it is an important category socio economic class and again proxies of socio economic class are are like there's a whole debate in the field about that and of course rural urban sexual orientation um you know gender moving beyond the male female and uh, and and capturing that even race um so i think all identities are important but yeah religion for sure is 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 one that i think psychology can surely pay a lot more attention to you did a, a sips on conference on this very topic how how was that received from from other researchers Ooh. <laughs> I I think the sips the sips unconference was really on the efficacy of labels and I think I thrown even global south and north into that pool um because it is my sense that name matters a lot when we think about diversity classifications so I really personally I really like global south because I think the word global doesn't signal any inherent hierarchies and of course you know i'm glad we moved away from the third world and that you know the whole tripart classification and so the global the i really like the word global because when we think about north versus south it's a nice equalizer um though it's also ambiguous it has its problems like you know south korea is sometimes north and north korea is is south and this all this like you know what are we really interested in are we interested in culture are we interested in income so that was i think the whole point of the the sips unconference was really to think deeply together um uh, on what's the importance of these these labels and how how um whether they restrict us or you know where where are the opportunities for the field you know do we come up with new labels do we reboot these labels how do we think differently about it so um i think in our group um, it was it was just a very exciting conversation because it 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 was such a different topic where i think people from different parts of the world and i think one of the wonders about sips conference this year was because it was virtual there were people from different parts of the world who were able to participate and 
people from all all you know from india africa and i think it it was really interesting to have the conversation about diversity labels with people from different regions because often these conversations about diversity happen not including those people which is why you know if we are to ever have a diversity audit if we are to ever do a diversity paper um where we think about you know sample diversity i think it's very very important we include researchers local researchers from the global south and and have them weigh in on the conversation and have them tell us what's important in in your region and your country and what implications does that have for psychology I've um I've seen you've also done some work looking at the role of diversity on boards on company boards and uh oh, well that's is not pretty straightforward there isn't any generally well well in James you wouldn't be surprised to hear but in, in Norway it's the law you have to um they're, they're, <laughs> <laughs> and 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 in many other countries uh, within Europe and uh, essentially it's one of those things that is it isn't necessarily just a good idea but it also helps the bottom line which is what a lot of companies are, 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 are really worried about so I wonder and I think you touched on this a little bit before um, of course, getting an, uh, an increased diversity in our samples is, is of course, the right thing to do because we're, we're, we're including like everyone within, within science, within psychology. But what sort of benefits is it going to give our science by, by, by doing that? Mm. So I think, I think the question really is like beyond optics, what's our, what's our sell to the scientific community that yes, sure, we need, we need, we need diversity inclusion in our samples. For the optics, um, I also think the best way to advance, and and it's not, I think scholars have have said this, so I'm definitely, um, you know, borrowing from the many many great thinkers who've said this, which is that re- like, the best way to increase diversity in science is through researcher diversity, um, and and that's the w- best way to move the field forward in terms of increasing sample diversity um but coming back to the question of like what is the cell beyond the optics and and how why should we drop everything so and 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 approach the problem of sample diversity with the same rigor and the same sort of um passion or the same <clears throat> same way that we approach the conversation in open science and replication if we were to approach the conversation on sample diversity and think about it in the same way as we approach replication or open science, I truly believe we have it in our community to come up with something that will help us move the needle on sample diversity period. And of course, that in today's day and age, in 2021, after covid um, you know, the world has become more digitized. This is the time to start um, having the conversation on diversity as a field and, and really thinking more deeply about, about like, what, ma- like, like, if we are to solve some of the toughest challenges, problems as a science, and I think that is my sell to the scientific community, which is the beyond optics point. Like if we are going to talk about climate change or poverty, or we're going to talk about any of these very sticky problems, um, then it's impossible to really do that without including 
the world in it um sure you can you can do you can you can you can do it in a specific region but i think if we really together as as a, as as the human kind that, I, that this is getting a little bit like um <laughs> touchy feely but <laughs> as a, as a, as a, as a humanity if we are going to move the needle on some of these tough questions then we have to get we 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 can't have cultural outliers in our science because then we 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 have no way of um of understanding what are the problems that they are dealing with and then you know forget about the solutions because solutions will come later or or trying to solve the problem or trying to see which intervention works will come later i think you know we 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 don't even know what problems that what problems are important and what problems should we start to tackle which is why this whole debate about universal versus <clears throat> context specific like this whole like oh what is universal in psychology what is context specific you know it's convenient to say context matters and you know it's a very hand wavy thing to say context matters and you can get away with with doing whatever and saying yes context matters and that's important but then it's important to know what's what's universal because then how else will psychology be a science right well, that might be a good time to wrap up. Th- uh, Sakshi Guy, thank you so much for, for joining us on the show. We're going to post uh, links, of course, to your article and the other work that you've been doing. And I'm really looking forward to seeing the results of the work that you are currently doing. Thank you so much for having me. And this was such a, such a fun conversation.